At McDonald's, we make Texas mornings brighter. Say you went for a jog around the lake. Well, nothing will help you refuel like an Egg McMuffin. Or if you need to beat traffic on the high five, a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit is the right way to rise. And if you've got to get some major shopping done across the Metroplex, a sausage burrito will help you wrap things up. We'll make your morning brighter with a delicious sausage McMuffin for $1 and a $1 any size soft drink or coffee. A la carte only, prices and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is the award-winning author of The Five O'Clock Follies, Teresa Tui. She is a longtime journalist who has happily turned her life's experiences and reporting skills to fiction featuring female reporters. Teresa worked for five daily newspapers and the Associated Press. Her first woman stint included assistant city editor at the Detroit News and the copy desk at the New York Star-Ledger. As a playwright, Teresa co-authored the book of Scandalous, the musical, an award-winning show about the life of D.H. Lawrence, author of Lady Chatterley's Lover, Women in Love, and Sons and Lovers. Teresa and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest novel, Flying Jenny, which tells the story of two women, a tabloid reporter and a stunt pilot in the 1920s, Redefining Gender Roles and Female Empowerment. Good morning, Teresa. Welcome to From Hi My there. Mom's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I'm fine. I'm fine. It's nice to talk to you. It's wonderful to have you on the air with me. It is a pleasure learning about your amazing journey as a journalist, playwright, and, of course, a novelist. By the way, Flying Jenny is beautifully written. It is fun, entertaining, and I have to tell you, it is an adventurous read. So congratulations for that. Oh, thanks very much. I had an awful lot of fun doing the research and, and writing that book. It was, it was just sheer fun. It really was. Fantastic. Well, let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Oh, well, <laughs> that's kind of a hard one. Um, I was born in your territory. I was born in Oklahoma City. Uh, we moved to California when I was 10. And I graduated from high school and college in, in California, and, and then I uh, came to New York, sort of like the Willie Morris book, North Port's Home. <laughs> I've been here pretty much ever since, except for a stint of eight years or ten years, not sure, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in Detroit. Mm-hmm. I've worked for mm-hmm. both newspapers in Detroit, got married uh, and divorced there, and then and then came back to New York, and I've been here pretty much ever since, except for a few months when I lived in Dallas. Um, just I don't I don't even remember why we did that. It was it was several uh, several roommates. We were all living in New York, uh, crammed up together, and and climbing up long flights of stairs to get to tiny cramped apartments and we decided to go someplace out in the open and we moved to Dallas and uh, lived there for a few months. Um, it was kind of mm-hmm. tough going, going 
I had to take a job as a overnight waitress at Love Field for a while to hold myself together to get my keep my finances going mm-hmm. and then I got a job doing social work for a while at Parkland Hospital. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I came back to New York and pretty much have been here ever since. Um I took several year trips to Europe when I was young. I was pretty adventuresome mm-hmm. in a um in a cautious way. I always mm-hmm. saved up enough money for whatever my next ad- adventure was going to be, and then I would go hoping I could find a job or whatever. Finally landed in the news business, and that was really my home. I, I adored being a journalist. It was really uh, a lot of fun and something different absolutely every day. Sounds like you have sort of a carefree attitude in terms of that adventurous curiosity that drives you to go from places to places and just experience the moment. Yeah, I, I, you know, I just wanted to just sort of try things, do something that was interesting. I mean, obviously, I, you know, have a fairly curious mind, and <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I just wanted wanted to tr- to try things, and I was very careful about not um, learning shorthand or any of those things that I kind of saw as as it's been um, dead-end kind of jobs for a woman. So mm-hmm. sometimes it was a bit hard to um, find – well, it was hard to finally settle on, on journalism. I did not major in journalism at all. I made it, majored mm-hmm. in criminology at the University of California and, and at one point had the idea that I wanted to be a criminal court judge, a juvenile court judge. Mm-hmm. But um, then when I just finally discovered – newspapering i just i loved it 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 just was always an adventure you never knew what was going to happen from one day to the next and uh and and it also you know allowed me to move around a bit uh right my first newspaper job was at the yonkers herald statesman in new york <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. i worked at the newark star ledger and then i went out to detroit to work there mm-hmm. and then finally came back to new york very very interesting New York's my home, basically. I mean, I've been here yeah. a long time, and um, I'm sort of, sort of a New Yorker. Although I've, I've definitely got a, <laughs> a southwestern uh, streak in me. That's for sure. <laughs> the adventurous streak in you—that's wonderful. Who were your role models when you were growing up? You know, um, I have no idea. I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. Um, you know, I, I don't think there were any other uh-huh. than possibly my mother. I mean, uh-huh. but it seems like everyone's mother would sort of be their role model. <laughs> uh, my mother was was sort of always did what she wanted to do. She had a pilot's license back in, in the late uh, 20s, mm-hmm. uh, which is, needless to say, a very unusual Thing for a woman to do, she she didn't she didn't do it as a career. She just did mm-hmm. it because she wanted to. Um, but she she just was a a person who was her own person. So in fact, my mother always said that we came from a very long line of independent women. My mother's family were from Texas, and there was one of my mother's aunts who was a was a 
I think the first woman treasurer or something of Young County and uh, Mm -hmm. was always out. She had a collection of Indian head uh, arrows. And so, yeah, I mean, I I came by it just sort of naturally to, and my, and my paternal grandmother Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, was said to be able to drive a team of horses better than any woman in the Oklahoma territory. So Wow, that's fantastic. I mean, it sounded yeah. like you came from a long line, at least from the women's side of the equation, they are fairly progressive in their thought process yeah. for their yeah. generation, so to speak. And that's important, I guess, in some ways, because that's a natural leadership, sort of like you say, take charge attitude in terms of, hey, this is what I want to do. Let my curiosity drive me. Something like that. I I know... Mm-hmm. You know when the when the women's movement first came along, not talking about this iteration of it, but yeah. Um, yeah. in earlier days, I, I was kind of startled. I I was like, I remember at one point in New York there were women chaining themselves to bumper the fenders or bumpers of cars mm-hmm. or something for some big protest, and and <laughs> and at that very time I <laughs> I was working in the Yonkers. Herald Statesman City Room, sitting up all night writing up, mm-hmm. <laughs> writing up the city council meeting of the night before, and I was like, "Why are they doing this? What's this about?" <laughs> so, it was, it was kind of hard for me to learn mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. A, a lot of women just weren't brought up that way, and it was very difficult for for people that were brought up in a family where instead of children are to be seen and not heard, it was women are to be seen and not heard. And mm-hmm. I didn't mm-hmm. understand that as a very young woman. You know, that's always, my, that's always, always, always my thing is go do it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Fantastic. So we want to learn a little bit more about journalism. We want to learn about the newspaper business and so forth and all that. And apparently you are right into the thick of it during your time. And of course, especially nowadays where supposedly it's been labeled as fake news. So needless to say, (laughs) we want to find out exactly what's going on in the newspaper industry. So tell us a little bit, what was the duty of an assistant city editor? The city Mm -hmm. editor is the person who runs the news operation, who runs the city, the city room, um, the active newsroom. Um, But it's hard to talk about those things anymore because it is really, really changed in the last few years. I've been Mm -hmm. retired for several years. Mm -hmm. And in the days that I was growing up in the news business, it was a very specific kind of situation there's a there's a newsroom and the city editor runs that newsroom and if it's a large paper he has or she has uh, he has as it almost always was several assistants who run the desk when he's not there or if they're when i was in detroit for example you had a city desk and then you had several other auxiliary desks we had um a metro desk, which covered the paper. The paper was so large, and that area was mm-hmm. so large that we had uh, four different zones of the wow. paper. So, in in the in the one of the sections of the paper was a zone for a particular area, and then there was 
another desk that uh, op- that ran the state uh, mm-hmm. the state reporters off the state bureau. So my my first job was as the state editor, and I dealt with the state reporters in the Lansing bureau. And then later I was I was on the metro desk, and then weekends I would run the city desk. So that's what an assistant city editor did in those days. They make assignments, and they keep track of the reporters, and they you know they know what the reporters mm-hmm. are doing, and send the reporters out on a on a job on a you know a story to cover. So that's that's basically what an assistant city editor does. In other, at other papers, at other, maybe even larger papers, the Detroit News was quite large. It was, at one point, the largest afternoon daily in the country. But that distinction really doesn't mean too much anymore. After, you know, afternoon papers were delivered on your doorstep right. in the afternoon. That's right, uh, yeah. Because Detroit was a big factory town. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people got off work at three thirty, four o'clock in the afternoon. They'd gone to work very, very early, maybe hadn't even looked at their morning papers. So when they <clears throat> came home from the factory, they picked up the evening paper that was thrown in, thrown in front of their door. And, right. uh, and that was, that's where they got their news. It's hard to imagine any of these, what I'm telling you, it's hard to imagine it now. Everything is so different. It used Mm -hmm. to be a few years ago that you got all your news off of television. Now everybody seems to get all their news off of Facebook or someplace, (laughs) you know, uh, like that. The business has changed, but the idea of reporters, of Mm -hmm. people that are actually professionals, putting out the news has not changed. And that's what I think has caused a lot of confusion. I mean, you, I, some guy running down Mm -hmm. the street, anybody can put something on the internet and a lot of people are going to believe it. You have, it's, it's just a rumor mill in a lot of ways. So there, there's a very serious need, even though people are talking about fake news. The idea mm-hmm. of, about fake news is just to disparage anything that you don't like. That's right. Um, That's right. Mm-hmm. The, uh, so you can always call, you can say something fake <laughs> if you want to, but the, the fake news mm-hmm. comes from people that, are, are rumor mongers that are just putting rumors on the internet or whatever. Right. But right. even even though so many newspapers have had to close um, or cut way back on their staffs, it's interesting to me to see that there are sort of public mm-hmm. organizations that are realizing the desperate need to get real reporters working on serious stories. And so a lot of serious news agencies have have come up through the Internet. Right. So you still still have that going on. But 
the problem with with so many cutbacks is it means that there's so many areas that just simply aren't being covered anymore. One of the areas that 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 coverage is is very sparse is is in local politics, local situations. I mean, That's right. in the old days, and I'm talking about myself as in the old days. <laughs> I mean, we covered school boards, we covered water board meetings, we covered, mm-hmm. you know, um, all kinds of very local situations. One mm-hmm. of the biggest first stories I ever had when I was a cub reporter was discovering that the city council in Yonkers had been, for their friends, been knocking off assessments, water assessments. And as mm-hmm. I was going to the to the city council meetings as a young reporter, I kept I kept saying, why are so many people coming to the council meeting and complaining about water assessments? <laughs> And, you know, I asked the guy that yeah. had, had the job before me, and he said, oh, they do that all the time. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, wait a minute. I'm going to find out about this. So I went mm-hmm. digging into the, into the <laughs> tombs about, uh, about water assessments and, mm-hmm. and discovered that there was a lot of skullduggery there and a lot of people's water assessments weren't fair and blah, 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 you know. So... This is the kind of thing that good reporters do. They, you know, they hear something and they go check on it. Right. And right. that story took me quite a while. I know I still had to do all my <laughs> other stuff, too, because I was like off on a tangent with it, thinking, right. I got to find out about this. The same thing is going on with foreign coverage right now. Mm-hmm. You don't, mm-hmm. I mean, if you watch a network news show, You'll see that they'll say, oh, this thing happened in wherever, uh, right. not London. Yeah. And sure enough, they, got a London, they go to their London reporter who's standing in the bureau in London. And right. They don't even have a reporter out there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like it's tough because, because things have tightened up. All the money has gone to the Internet for ads right, on the Internet. Right, I right, mean, newspapers right. are run off the ads they get or that's right. and the same and, right. and the same thing with television so so much has been so much of the coverage has been cut back i used to work for the associated press and the mm-hmm. associated press had reporters all over every place you know but mm-hmm. but everyone's had to cut back on where they put their staff because surprise surprise Staff costs money. <laughs> they have to be paid. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so anyway, true. that's that's. I mean, that's a, you know a <laughs> quick overview of what yeah, what's yeah. happening in the news business. But you know, I mean, reporters at every level, as I say, mm-hmm. including covering water assessments, yeah. and and a re- needing a reporter in Seoul or needing a reporter in. <laughs> And wherever. So anyway, that's it's. <laughs> it, it's really a fascinating story, actually, because to kind of have an idea, an insight look, how the feel of journalism and reporting has evolved over the years. What was the most memorable experience you treasured as a journalist? Well, treasure is the wrong word. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you, uh, I, if I could think of one I treasured. 
you know, something where I beat everybody or something like that. But almost always they're, they've got a tragic underbelly. When I was a very young reporter, um, the, there was a horrible fire in Yonkers at the community center and several people were killed. And all the New York reporters were coming up trying to get interviews with with families and mm-hmm. no one but me got one. I got I got a an interview with a, with a man whose wife was killed with her arms mm. around trying to save two separate children from the fire. Yeah. I spent hours an hour or so in, in sitting with him at his kitchen table and just letting him talk. Um, and it was a fantastic learning for me, a learning experience for me to understand that when some horrible tragedy has happened, people want to talk. And But you need to be very careful what kind of questions you ask them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Certain questions they'll really back away from or get very upset. Sure, um, sure. The most awful. So you're asking me for a mm-hmm. cheerful story, and I'm giving you these <laughs> no, awful not, stories. No, what you just shared is very critical because whether it's a tragedy or not, a reporting at that moment in time, you are in the moment, and you have a job to do, but I'm sure you have specific questions you have to ask, right? At the same time, you're a human being. Yeah, you no, have it's to tough. Have apathy. Yeah, it's it's tough. I I. I, again, this was as a as a very young reporter. I was sent out to cover. Uh, I think I think he was the first soldier from Yonkers killed in mm-hmm. Vietnam. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I got back and I could barely read my notes. I had been crying yeah. so much, but I I still had to write a story. But the most awful, the most awful mm-hmm. was the Oklahoma City bombing. Wow. I was yeah, that's right. Yeah. There. Mm-hmm. I live in New York, but I was mm-hmm. there visiting my mother for her birthday. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know the city. I didn't know, but I w- went out and got in my rental car and went and worked two or three 14-hour days. You know, that's another thing. When something happens, you go. It doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> it doesn't right. matter if you're off. It doesn't matter if. You're not supposed to be to work for three hours, <laughs> you know. It's a calling. It's really a calling, and it's it's hard hard to explain. And I think back on it now, and I think, well, gee, <laughs> you know, why why did I think that was so important? But right, right. The whole time you're doing it, you really feel like it's important. Right. And that's right. that's that's what was so swell about it that. You felt like you were accomplishing something, doing something, saving the First Amendment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. So true. Right. So. Right. That's fantastic. There really is. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is award-winning author Teresa Tui. She is a longtime journalist who has happily turned her life experiences and reporting skills to fiction featuring female reporters. Teresa worked for five daily newspapers and the Associated Press. Her first women's stints included assistant city editor at the Detroit News and the copy desk at the Newark Star-Ledger. 
Teresa and I are having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest novel, Flying Jenny, which tells the story of two women, a tabloid reporter and stunt pilot in the 1920s, redefining gender roles and female empowerment. So let's talk about the book a little bit here. This is very interesting. How did you transition into becoming a novelist? Well, I, I was thinking about it. I was always writing stuff on, on my days off. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing, I, when I was uh, living in Detroit, I, I, I wrote a play uh, mm-hmm. about a woman, a uh, combat photographer. I don't know what I had about combat in my head, but and that eventually became merged into, melded into mm-hmm. uh, my first novel, uh, The Five O'Clock Follies, which was about a woman war correspondent, not a photographer, mm-hmm. but a woman war correspondent. Um, once I finished that, which took me years because I was working full time <laughs> and got that published, then I decided, in fact, it goes back to that business of my telling you earlier that I kind of, when one of the early women's movements started, I sort of mm-hmm. didn't quite understand what they were up to. So I decided that I wanted to write a novel contrasting two very different, very mm-hmm. di- different women uh, who were doing interesting jobs back in the 1920s. I had initially done research for for the Five O'Clock Follies. Setting, mm-hmm. You have to set up all your characters and know all their backstories. <laughs> and, and my female uh, war correspondent in Follies had a mother who was a surgeon, which is a really unusual job for a woman. I mean, being a doctor was ver- fairly unusual, but being a surgeon was really unusual. So I decided to make her mother a surgeon. And I had to do research to find out where women her mother's age could actually get into medical school. Mm -hmm. Um, She couldn't go to Harvard Medical School because women weren't allowed. And that's Mm -hmm. where her father and her grandfather were both both, uh, doctors. So that's that's why she just grew up assuming she'd be a doctor. <laughs> she couldn't get into Harvard Medical School, so mm-hmm. she had to go to Stanford. So anyway, that's kind of a progression of how my mind has worked along this along this subject of women for a long time having done interesting uh, or jobs that were normally thought to be for men. So once I finished Follies, then I decided to make one of my women a stunt pilot, which mm-hmm. my mother was not. My mother had a pilot's license, but <laughs> and and flew an open cockpit old biplane. That's what yeah. she learned in. For fictional purposes, of course, I had to I had to make this pilot a really serious stunt pilot, and right. you know the whole Megillah. And for the reporter, um, I put her at a tabloid, which, again, mm-hmm. a tabloid, tabloids, especially in New York, was a tougher job, a grittier job. They, really? You know, they're re- oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of people to this day don't consider 
although there's hardly any left, consider right. tabloids as serious, you know, mm-hmm. as serious as a... As a mainstream, yeah, yeah. 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 So mm-hmm. I put her at a, I put her at a tabloid. I had her um, grow up in Greenwich Village. I was fascinated by uh, the Bohemians, free love, free thinking mm-hmm. people in the teens, uh, in at the turn of that century, and there were all kinds of poets and writers, and that were all really. Interesting to say the least. <laughs> so I I had my New York tabloid journalist grow up not knowing who her father was and grow up um, in Greenwich Village. I I put her on a street that I lived on in Greenwich in Greenwich Village at one point. Had a lot of wonderful old time description of writers and painters mm-hmm. and poets in the village. And then she runs into, on a story, she runs into this woman pilot who is totally the opposite. Her father was a banker. Her mother was a community leader. She was, like, very proper. She was a debutante. And these two women do not understand each other. And and that was the fun of the story for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, was showing the tremendous contrast both in geography and in in upbringing uh, in these two women that were doing very um, very unusual jobs for the time. Uh, uh, there were in 1929 there were 112 or 116 women in the country that had pilot's license mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, in the newspaper business, it was really hard to find a woman in a city room, although there were some. There absolutely right. were some. And I did research on on the various women that were around in, in, in the old <laughs> days. And, and I could sort of imagine what their lives were like because, of, you know, I had been in city rooms where there weren't a lot of women around, so... So I, I kind of understood that background, and I heard crazy flying stories <laughs> from my mother and my father mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. when I was a kid. So uh, my father's best friend in grammar school was Paul Braniff, who started Braniff Airlines. So my wow. father was yeah. um, my father hung out with all these pilots. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they were his friends, and I don't know, you know, why <laughs> he wasn't a pilot. He just, yeah, you know, they yeah. were just his pals, and he drank with them and whatever. And mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, my mother, you know, don't know what came over her. She just decided she wanted to fly, and my father was <laughs> indulgent and paid for her flying lessons. So <laughs> <laughs> that's fabulous. Did you fly? No. No, I'm mm-hmm. sort of scared of it. <laughs> I tried one time. I had a friend who actually lives in New York, and he has since sold his plane. But when I was up there, we flew into Iceland. Yeah, okay, that's on Long Island. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. So yeah. it was very, very interesting. He allowed me to hold the yoke and half at it. And I was like, 
terrified in the way because the slight movement, the plane will go either to the left, right, or up and down. And then I'm yeah. having this sort of paranoia in the sense that it's like driving on the interstate. Okay, if I go slightly to the right, I'm on someone else's lane because, of course, <laughs> the highway is so narrow. And he was telling me, like, in the air, it's different. I mean, you do have plenty of room. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to bump into somebody else. So that was yeah. quite a thrilling experience for me. It was very, very exciting. Do you find yourself daydreaming a whole lot? I don't know how to distinguish between daydreaming <laughs> and being in my head. Uh, I'm in my head most of the time. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know how to explain that. I when I <laughs> when I really first started working on Follies, uh-huh. I I realized that I had to be careful when I was out on the street because I would get so wound up thinking about it or what to do next or whatever that I was liable to get hit by a bus or a car or something. <laughs> um, all writer, writers will tell you that, that they probably do more work in their heads than they do yeah. At, yeah. At, the, at the computer. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. but I think I'm just in my head most of the time. Uh, and not necessarily, you know, not necessarily creating a story. Yeah. But I find myself, and I notice it sometimes, and I think, well, this is sort of goofy. If I'm going to meet <laughs> someone, or if I'm going to talk to someone, or if I'm going to go do something, I sort yeah. of, I sort of go through it in my head before I get there. And <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 I, I don't know what other people do. I mean. I don't know what other people do. I have a friend. Now that this is an, in, mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting question that you're asking, because mm-hmm. as I said, I don't quite know what daydreaming is. Oh, I, it would be fantasizing. I think fantasizing that you're that your novel's going to sell a whole bunch <laughs> of books or something like that. But um, I have a friend that reads constantly constantly she cannot be without a book and she just any new book that's come out she's read it mm-hmm. she and w- we were on vacation together one time and i finally said to her you read too much and she looked at me like i was nuts like <laughs> who who could imagine somebody reading too much and i said you never spend any time in your own head you know, I've wondered about that. Why do people go look at parades, or why do people right. go? Why do people go to? They have they have street fairs practically every Sunday in New York, blocking traffic and all mm-hmm. this. And mm-hmm. you want why do? And I think why do people go bother doing that? You know, it's <laughs> like they they they're selling the same stuff in the same place over and over, the same old rotten hot dogs and the same old whatever. Why do people do that? And and the answer to myself is because people have to have something to do and maybe they don't know how to just sit and be in their own head. Mhm. Mhm. Is That's that a true. screwy answer? But No, not really because yeah, it's about yeah. finding creativity, finding inspiration and to some they read like what you were talking about your friend Reading gives them an idea, so they play this little movie in their head. Right, right, right. Yeah, so that changes the dynamics. Right, well, see, so I think most people are used to having some outside force entertain them. 
whether mm-hmm. it's a TV mm-hmm. show or a book or a street fair, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're having something else entertain them. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think I do very much. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not talking about anything very interesting in my head most of the time, I don't think. But, <laughs> but it, it's, I guess I just, you know, I think I just talk to myself silently. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Why the duel of female pilot and a female reporter? Well, I think I sort of sort of answered that by saying that I wanted the the tremendous contrast mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. these very 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 different women. Mm-hmm. Um and and I was looking for jobs that women were doing in the 1920s. I guess I could have picked a doctor and a, <laughs> I don't know, and an architect or something. I mean, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I, I, but, I, you know, clearly I picked a reporter and a pilot. I mean, things that I already <laughs> have some sense about. I, You know, my mother was a pilot and, and I'm a reporter. So it, write what you know. <laughs> Right. It's true. And also, it is about the sense of adventure, the sense of curiosity in both right. professions, so to speak, from that exactly. perspective. Exactly. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is award-winning author Teresa Tui. She is a longtime journalist who has happily turned her life experiences and reporting skills to fiction Featuring female reporters, Teresa worked for five daily newspapers and the Associate Press. Her first woman stints include assistant city editor at the Detroit News and the copy desk at the Newark Star-Ledger. Teresa and I are having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest novel, Flying Jenny, which tells the story of two women, a tabloid reporter and stunt pilot in the 1920s, redefining gender roles and female empowerment. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Teresa, how much of you are in the two major characters? Well, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I think because I think because of the of the fact that the book's set in 1929. Yeah. There's a, a bit of historical di- distance uh, mm-hmm, between mm-hmm. me and and both the characters, but I think the sort of smart aleckness and the, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the sense of do what you want to do, and and I would hope the humor. I I, I think yeah, there's yeah. quite Plenty a of quite humor. a lot of yeah. quite a lot of humor. And, you know, with any character, with absolutely mm-hmm. any character that you write, yeah, um, it's hard to say how much of you is in it and how much isn't, um, how, much, uh, how much at least are personal memories right. that you maybe give to someone. For Follies, there's kind of two main characters. And a friend of mine, a long time ago, long before the book was published, when I was first working on it and trying mm-hmm. to get advice how to make it better and that sort of thing, a friend said, you know, 
the male character and the female character are pretty much both you. <laughs> and I, 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 you know, I don't know, you know, the the female character was a woman correspondent in in uh, in Vietnam right during the Tet Offensive mm-hmm. for that very mm-hmm. short. The period takes period. Uh, the book takes place during a very short period of time, about six months, right around right. the Tet Offensive. Um, and there were very few women there. I mean, there were some, but not very many. So she was relatively lonely and kind of stuck off, and the men sort of didn't want to talk to her very much. Or I, I kind of had it in my mind. It's kind of like when you get on the school bus and the little boys don't want to take the seat next to you. <laughs> <laughs> and I always thought with my character's name was Angela. I always thought with Angela it was sort of like in the bar at the Continental Aww. Hotel. None of the guys wanted to take the bar seat next to her. Oh, mm-hmm. but uh, but the but the male character. I mean, all the rest of the characters were male, but um, <laughs> the one main male character who tells a lot of her story and and clearly always has kind of a secret crush on her, but is kind of standoffish himself and brash in some ways and and kind of very shy in others mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i i i'm sure that's what the my friend meant by the male characters uh kind of standoffishness or right easygoing but <laughs> not always totally sure of himself kind of thing so anyway, mm, that's true. you know, I don't know if that answers it. it you you don't know. You don't know right. exactly. I mean, there's... Well, it seems that after talking with you on the air right now, I think there's a sense of the adventure side of the equation like you were talking about. You were driven by curiosity all your life. The free spirit in terms of wanting to find out and me standing on and even keel with everyone, for like a better term. So that mm-hmm. does come out in the two female roles in the sense that why not? That's nothing wrong. I'm a person first, a female second, and I say that respectfully. You know what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, you know, for many years people would ask me if I was a feminist, and I'd say, no, I'm a humanist. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings me to the next question. What are your thoughts about the female empowerment evolution over the decades? Well, as I said, in in the early stages, I I just didn't really understand it. And mm-hmm. now I think it's wonderful the way mm-hmm. it's kind of becoming a really <laughs> serious kind of movement. Right. But it's still something that my feeling is, well, why wasn't it here all along or it was here all along or something like that. So, right, so right, it's, right. it's almost that, that I'm, I'm kind of uh, uh, confused about it. I mean, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Women should, <laughs> should have equal pay and equal this, but mm-hmm. the, clearly the most important thing, and, and I don't know how you get that unless you have a mother that already had it is mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. just your your sense of yourself your, that's right your that's sense right. of your this your sense of yourself as being a person just being you know i mean 
I mean, I'm shy in all sorts of situations. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure of myself in all sorts of situations. But that's got nothing to do with it. There's not anybody that can talk down to me. Right, right. But you see, don't you think that when you were growing up, having such a, when I say strong role model like your mom, not as in physically strong, but firm, self-assured, so to speak. And so that sort of permeates to you both verbally or consciously as well as subconsciously. Oh, absolutely. No, as I said, I, you know, I began to realize that more and more as I got older that nobody had ever told me that I was a second class (laughs) citizen of any kind. And you also have to think about my father. I mean, my, my father's the one that paid for my mother's airplane. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Lessons. Mm -hmm. So uh, my father, you know, He's progressive himself, right? Yeah, Yeah. he. My father was very strict about certain things. Right. Um, I remember. (laughs) I remember when I was in the first grade in Oklahoma City. I was. Mm -hmm. I picked up the phone and I was dialing, and my father said, "Who are you calling?" I said, "I'm calling my boyfriend." (laughs) And my father said, "Young lady, put down that phone." I want you to learn one thing, you know, you don't call boys, they call you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, I mean, so even though if I wanted to go to law school or my mother wanted to fly an airplane or whatever, that was right. fine. But there, mm-hmm. but he still was very, you know, there was a difference between men and women. There's a certain amount yes. of decorum yes. involved, but yes. then as yes. far as free spirit, Right. To be your best self, he's a champion of that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, um, I, he and at a very young age, my father, you know, discussed politics. He discussed sports mm-hmm. with me, whatever. I mean, there was no distinction between me and my mo- my brother. In fact, I mean, this is <laughs> awful. Actually, my brother was quite a bit younger, and when my bro- and when my father bought my brother a set of boxing gloves, he bought him two sets, and I was expected to put them on to help my little brother learn how to box. <laughs> and I was, you know, I was like, yeah. "Daddy, I, you know, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do this. I'm too old for this." <laughs> So, very, very so anyway, interesting. So I think, you know, an awful lot of it. In fact, I remember reading some management study years ago from mm-hmm. Harvard talking about executive women. Mm-hmm. I mean, the study was about executive women. And, and, and that particular author almost always laid it on the father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That the, that the girls growing up had a excellent relationship equal the that the girls were treated like real mm-hmm. people by their father of course if if your yeah. father treats the girls like an equal person he's obviously going to treat his wife that way too so that's correct yeah so that makes a lot of difference because that's where people can shine the wife as well as the child can shine right. to be their best self so that makes a big difference no right. doubt about in, it where in the home, you know, everyone's equal in terms of, gen- well, everyone's equal, period. I mean, right. 
Right. You know, the kids have to mind when they're little, and they. Right. <laughs> but uh, and so true. and you know, both my parents were fairly strict about certain mm-hmm. decorum. But that's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It true. feels to me like that's the way everybody should be brought up. <laughs> As a full-grown woman, and you weren't brought up like that, I don't know, yeah. you know, I, I guess you need a movement. <laughs> and that's what we have right now, so that's what yeah. we need. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly, exactly. Where can someone go to buy your books, get more information about you, and keep up with your latest happenings? Well, uh, it's pretty easy because my name's so unusual. Uh, my website is simply theasatui.com. There's quite a bit on there. My press clippings are on there. There's a section for uh, both of my books that have been published and for uh, the mystery series that hasn't been sold to a publisher yet but that I'm finishing up now. Um, so there's there's all kinds of information about me on there, and of course you can buy the book on Amazon or or uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, it's in Kindle edition. Both of the books I think are in Kindle editions. Fantastic. Um, it's, That's really it's not easy. It's not too easy. Not too difficult to find me. It's easy <laughs> to find me. Uh, Fantastic. That's yeah, wonderful. because most people, you know, if if your name is Patricia Jones. Right. You're going to have to have all sorts of little curly cues or something in your website. <laughs> uh, but mine is pretty straightforward, theasatui.com. I've got a YouTube thing, but I don't know how to I, I don't know how to deal with that too well, but uh, I've had someone start putting YouTube stuff on. There's an adorable little um video uh just like a 1-minute video of mm-hmm. of Flying airplanes and and New York and Scott Joplin music, uh, advert you know a little advertisement mm-hmm. for my for Flying Jenny. Fantastic! That sounds wonderful. What three advice can you give aspiring writers to help them in their journey? Well, I don't know. That's that's kind of a hard one. Um, you know, I started writing a very long time ago. As I said, mm-hmm. I started out with a play, and at that point I was married to a theater critic. <laughs> I, sort <of> thought <laughs> oh he was gonna, <laughs> I sort of thought he was going to help me with my play, but he, I don't think he helped at all. But anyway, um, so I don't know. You just have to keep writing and, and trying to find just write. I mean, that that's mm-hmm. all I know to say. The other... The other thing that I would say, and this comes from my journalism, is don't talk about being blocked. I mean, that's just there's mm-hmm. this big myth about writer's block, and and my idea is you sit down in your chair and you start typing, mm-hmm. hitting the computer keys. Who knows what's going to come out? And that's part of the fun of it. Is for me is you don't know. You look in the computer screen and start typing type green <laughs> type the word green and and see what associations you start making with it you know right um, right you you just have to you just have to do it and as far as i'm concerned every bit of it took a long time yeah. uh i got my first journalism job on the basis of an essay i wrote or something like that 
And then it sort of took me months to kind of get the hang of what mm-hmm. was a news story and how you started it out and how, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and the same thing, you know, with plays are very journal, writing journalism is very different than writing novels and writing novels is very different from, mm-hmm. um, you have to work at it and, and you just have to keep trying. I finally got in a writer's group and I adore my writer's group, but I didn't get, I had been writing, I'd written two or three plays and all sorts of stuff before I got into the group. Mm-hmm. But a group is fabulous mm-hmm. just because you get good feedback right off the bat. Mm-hmm. If, if you're, if you're with a supportive group, the worst thing you can do is get into a group where uh, people are, are negative or telling you what you're mm-hmm. doing wrong. Right, right. So true. It's work. It's, it's a lot of work. Um, the 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 idea of it taking too long is just silly as far as I'm concerned having worked in very short takes as a journalism and Mm -hmm. as a journalist and and then you know I'm on my fourth or fifth novel now um, Mm -hmm. and I'm intrigued with it I just you know go every day and sort of type and see what happens it's just it's just something you need to do in terms of how to make yourself a success or how to sell. There's just no advice for that. It's, it's, it's a tough, 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 tough business in terms of trying to find a publisher or an agent, whatever. You know, it's a tough business. That's true. But that's very that's true. not where the fun is. <laughs> the fun that's is in the writing. The, the, fun, the fun is in the writing and and. Sorting out where it is you're trying to go with it, and what it was you were trying to say, and mm-hmm. um, and reworking the same paragraph a whole bunch of times to get it absolutely <laughs> right. Right, right. That's wonderful. Well, since our show is about family, living life, and relationship, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? <laughs> A recipe for living. I, you know, uh, I, I think that's what we've, that's what we've been talking about all along. Is kind that's of right. doing what you want to do and being true to yourself and working hard and you know and being good to other people. Always try to see the other person's side of it or or understand that when someone is saying or doing something that that you don't agree with to sort of at least try to understand where they're coming from or, or, or what, uh, what they're up to. And this is my own special. I, I get very indignant when people are really doing bad things or selfish things or, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and I report it. I got some awful, uh, phishing or whatever you call it, bad email, Mm -hmm. Um, threatening me with all sorts of stuff, which of course was just bizarre. Wow. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and I spent the whole day figuring out how to report this person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, I finally ended up getting a hold of my city councilman and leaving a message and getting a message back where I could send this email so mm-hmm. that this person would be reported. I, I feel very strongly about that. About uh, people taking responsibility as as a 
group as a as right. part of the community. I mean, it's not just that you need to vote because you're part of the community and that <laughs> you need to be polite to people on the street, but you know, right. there, there's a because of the terrorism scares in New York, right. there's an expression that's all over in New York. If you see something, say something. Right. And right. and I think that applies not to just something that might frighten you if you think someone's left a bag that might explode or something. I think you you know, <laughs> you need to uh you be need responsive. to report. Yeah, you yeah. have to be, you know, you have to be responsible uh yeah. for the for the rest of the society that you live in. So true. Well, Teresa, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, October 23rd. My guest will be Shanna Lee. She teaches women how to live powerfully and authentically, how to feel great in their bodies, confident with who they are, and to connect with their true purpose using her platform, The Soul Frequency. Shanna and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable spiritual transformation and how you can also gain the confidence, clarity, and courage to reconnect with your very own soul frequency. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. So, Issa, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a blessed day. Thank you so much, Johnny. I really enjoyed it. You're a wonderful interviewer. Oh, Have a thank good you. day. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. surprise from Target on your big day? Join Target Red and you'll get a little something on your birthday. It's free to join and isn't another card. Just sign up in store with your phone number or at Target.com slash red. Some restrictions apply. At McDonald's, we make Texas mornings brighter. Say you went for a jog around the lake. Well, nothing will help you refuel like an egg McMuffin. Or if you need to beat traffic on the high five, a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit is the right way to rise. And if you've got to get some major shopping done across the Metroplex, a sausage burrito will help you wrap things up. We'll make your morning brighter with a delicious sausage McMuffin for $1 and a $1 any size soft drink or coffee. A la carte only, prices and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal.